Hello, and again, welcome to Bit Depth. I'm Santiago Ramones. Across from me is... Wordsmith. Thanks for having me on the show. Thank you so much for being here. You are the third Baltimore artist I've had on Bit Depth. I had the two awesome ladies from Outcalls on here, and I'm delighted to have you on. So first things first, who are you and what do you do? Well, thank you. I'm glad to hear you had Outcalls on there. They're actually friends of mine. I've worked with them a couple of times as well, so glad to hear that. Uh, again, my name's Wordsmith. Uh, a little bit about me. I'm a songwriter, performer, uh, philanthropist, and I'm a business owner out here in Baltimore City. I've actually spent a lot of my career traveling the world, uh, partnering up with the Department of State. They've sent me to 11 different countries since 2016. And not only do I get to do concerts and do my passion, but I get to hold workshops to teach music. Uh, I get to hold classes with underserved youth. But uh, most of all, I just get to go to a lot of places that a lot of American artists uh, don't go to. And I try to reach those places that are really underserved. So I'm grateful to do that. I have a position with the Baltimore Symphony Orchestra as an artistic partner uh, to help with diversity programs, but also to write new compositions and reinterpret old classical pieces. And I have my nonprofit, which is called Rise With A Purpose. And I'm currently fundraising uh, to put a permanent school out here in Baltimore City outside of just Peabody, which more is for classical and jazz musicians. But it doesn't really touch the average drummer, the average, you know, guitar player, recording engineer, things of that nature. So just trying to work off of my community. Yeah, definitely. That's you're wearing all of the hats and you're you're doing it all really well and you're you're helping people while you're at it. So um I guess to start, how did you first get started in music? Oh uh, man, just I had a love especially for I would say hip hop when I was real young. Used to save up. I still have a big tape collection here in mid condition. Uh I used to tape Yo and TV raps to box growing up. So I really loved the culture of hip hop, but never looked at myself as you know, a hip hop artist, a musician, anything of that nature. Uh, but when I was living in Georgia, probably around 13 years old, I had a bunch of friends that always used to rhyme and all this, and they pretty much pushed me to rhyme just to hang out with them. So it just kind of came natural. I saw not only could I, you know, rap, but I could write music. And I had, uh, I guess, the type of mind that, you know, you know, and you can understand music quickly or, you can understand the structure of a song quickly, how to play an instrument quickly. I play electric guitar. That's why I was asking you uh, about the guitar in the background over there. But I recognized that, you know, I had a certain gift for writing music. And so I just tried to seek it out. You know what I mean? Because I was big with sports early on in my life. And I didn't really put music to the side because I just said, I want to play professional sports, you know, especially football. But there comes a point in your life where you have to realize what your gifts are, where you can impact, I would say, the world the best way. And what music was for me, it was my way to impact the world. Real quick, what was your position in football? Man, I played everywhere, man. In high school, I was a, a wingback. I was a cornerback. I was an outside linebacker. I played football at Morgan State University. Um, when I got there, I played cornerback. And I, I finished my football career at Salisbury University. And um, I played outside linebacker there. Yeah, awesome. <laughs> um, so who were your influences whenever you were first starting out, whenever your friends were starting to get to you into rhyming and stuff? What were you listening to? What, what's the the bulk of your early tape collection? Oh, man. The first two tapes I ever got was actually from my parents. Surprising enough, but they got us uh, the Fat Boys are back and they got us Run DMC Tougher Than Leather. 
That's the first two hip hop tapes I ever got, man. And I'm talking about I wore them out. I remember to this day, the Fat Boys, a back tape was an all white tape. And I remember I played it so much that the words pretty much rubbed off of it. It was just a white tape with no wording on it anymore. And uh, just run MC tougher and leather, just the way they looked on the front of the cover with the blue background and the all leather outfits, tangos, you know what I mean? Which I still rock today. It just... It was bigger than just the music. It was how you dressed, how you rocked your hair, what kicks you wore. I just fell in love with it, man. And uh, just literally, I would say artist-wise, my favorites were Tribe Called Quest, uh, Public Enemy, Red Man, EPMB. Those were uh, Lords of the Underground. Those are some of my favorite artists, just really, really old school cats that were creative. And uh, that's probably something that's a big difference from today's hip hop is I feel like hip hop artists back in the day were way more creative and there was more competition. Well, since you also have a partnership with the Baltimore Symphony Orchestra, it seems like you have kind of, and, and I do this a lot too, that I'm kind of somewhere in between like classical world and contemporary world. So it's like, what are some of your like classical influences or even like film score inf influences that uh, kind of play into your music as well? Um, I mean, I love Stravinsky. I love his pieces and I'm actually working on a piece of his, uh, The Soldier's Tale right now. And I'm rewriting it in a fashion where I'm changing the setting to where it's going to be during the civil rights era. It's going to be Vietnam. It's going to be told from a, a black soldier's perspective of, you know, you left one war in Vietnam and you come home and you're still at war but in your own country, you know, with racism, trying to have voting rights. So I really wanted to show this dynamic of, you know, leaving Vietnam, a place where, you know, unfortunately a lot of soldiers didn't want to go. And even through my research, I saw that so many African-Americans were sent to Vietnam. You know, I'm trying to say the best way to say this, in some ways to, to die, it was another way of um, slavery, Jim Crow segregation, you want to put it, but to find out that more African-Americans than any other race were sent to Vietnam, it was telling you know, that this is a way to maybe get rid of some, you know. Uh, so I've learned a lot just through my research of it and rewriting it. And I want to be really delicate about this era of time, um, even the setting when the soldier comes home into Alabama. You know, I chose an area where it's a lot of racist undertones, where, you know, um, there were a lot of protests and walks. So I'm trying to really connect and uh I would say continue to wake people up, but also to show the beauty of Stravinsky's music, but also put his this story into a fashion that I think he'd be proud of because I've always heard he didn't like the original text, <laughs> you know, for the soldier's tale. So that's something I'm really working on. Uh, of course, I love Beethoven. I did a rewrite for Ode to Joy that we're going to be doing in um, 2022. Uh, that was a big task, you know, because Ode to Joy, a lot of us were singing Ode to Joy when we were kids in school, so you can't mess that up. Yeah. But <laughs> but I just like to try to update it and make it current and, and make it uh, relatable to the youth generation and honestly, you know, my generation as well, and just make it more rounded and more diverse. And other than that, I added a couple spoken word sections in there. And just to be us overall, I think they're adding a jazz band to it and we're going to have the Morgan State Choir. So we're going to really, I think, add some great elements where we still keep in Beethoven Ninth in the spot it's supposed to be in where it'll be recognizable, but adding some updated elements for the youth, you know, because when I think of classical, and you probably agree with me, you know, the older generation is unfortunately dying off little by little, you know, running their course. So who's next to listen to classical music? It's got to be the young kids. So you got to connect with them.
speaking of connecting with the youth, uh, I saw that you make it a priority to make your content free of profanity. So like, why do you find it important to make it more accessible or clean? Man, I cursed a lot early on in my career. But um, I think as you get older, you say, you know, why am I cursing in my music? Is it getting an extra point across? Am I just saying it to say it? And then two, having kids, I wanted my kids to be able to listen to my music at any time, you know, and not having to have it censored or anything like that. And then three, I know the type of music I wanted to make. I wanted to impact people. I wanted to have something to say. I wanted to have messages in there. I wanted to get perspectives on life. We can't really do that, I feel, with something that's just full of profanity laced. If there's a reason to curse in a record, man, do your thing. I listen to records where there's cursing in it all the time still. But on my side, I choose not to because of my message and what I'm trying to put out there. And I have my own path. You know, I'm not trying to serve the path of any other artist or musician. So has it made my path probably a little tougher, the type of music that I do? Definitely. But I feel good in my heart and my soul, you know, the type of music I'm putting out. And that should be most important. Going back a little bit, uh, since you had started in, in football, but then you made your way into music, I guess at what point did you know and decide that music is what you wanted to do with your life? And what was kind of the thing that got you there? I think getting feedback, you know, um, when I was lost early in my music career, just, you know, talking about nothing, kind of falling in line and doing what everybody else is doing. When I finally decided to have my music represent the way I acted, my personality, what I believe in, my thoughts on life, my perspective, I started getting the actual support of other people. And I started hearing people saying, hey, your music motivates me. I love the message. I can relate to what you said in this song. I know someone that's going through this. It was just real powerful for me to hear. And I said, man, you know, Music can touch someone and live with someone for the rest of their lives, or it can impact someone in a moment in time when they're in need. You can write music that represents what's going on real time in the world and put it out, and tons of people can hear it at one time. To me, with sports, you know, it's a team sport, which is great. And with football, you're under a helmet. So there's, there's only so much impact, you know, I think as a sports athlete you can have, but your words as an artist, they carry so much weight. And they can reach so many people at one time. You don't have to wait on the media or the press to do that. You just have to distribute it or not even that. You just have to put it up somewhere on the internet. And a bunch of people can hear it at one time. So that told me, you know, music is what I need to do. And not just do music that I like, but do relatable music that helps others, you know, and impacts others. So you've been able to do your music thing and move your way up and you're traveling around the world. What are some of the places that you've been and what's sort of been your favorite thing about traveling and performing and doing workshops? Um, I've been blessed to go to Africa three different times to perform and hold workshops. I've been to Cote d'Ivoire, which is the Ivory Coast. I've been to Namibia. I've been to Angola and I've been to Djibouti, Africa. And, you know, Being an African-American, you know, being from here in America, a lot of us don't know our true ancestry a lot of times. So when you get to go back to Africa, you get to learn your true culture and traditions that you didn't know anything about. I remember when before I got to Angola, I was in Namibia doing shows. And I remember people there would say, are you from Angola? And I would say, no. You know, or when they would hear my accent, which is an accent to them, which is just American, they knew I was from America, but be prior to that, they would just say, you look like you're from Angola. Again, I had never been to Angola prior to this time. I didn't 
I hadn't met anybody who was Angolan. And when I remember when I got there, I saw so many people that I said, man, that could be my cousin. That could be my uncle. And I said, man, maybe this is where my ancestry is from, you know, and that's something I would tell any African-American is, yeah, re, you know, no, no America, but you got to go to Africa at some point in your life and learn your true roots and your true traditions and even try to find out where maybe you truly come from. So I would say Africa. I love my time in Ukraine. I have some great friends in Ukraine. Actually, one of the punk rock bands that I signed on my label is from Ukraine. I uh, I love my time in Lithuania. There were some really great artists out there that became great friends of mine. Uh, just being on a tour bus and going to different places, performing every night. Uh, just earned some great friends. I would say Azerbaijan was another great place that I went to that when I went there, I don't think they had a black man walk around in the streets out there for almost 10 years. So it was it was a wild experience. And it was crazy to know, too, that you can go to a place like Azerbaijan and uh, they speak Azerbaijani out there. And it's the only place in the world where they speak Azerbaijani, you know, and there's few, pl few places in this world where you can go where there's just a native language that's only spoken in that particular country. And that's a place that's like that still in the world. So that was unique. Um, in its own right. So those are just some of the great experiences I've had uh, just traveling. Yeah. It's one thing to just be a performer and artist, but it's another thing to share your gifts with other people and sharing how to make music. Why, why is that a priority to you? I just think it has to, and this is me, is this, it's got to be bigger than just writing a song. You know what I mean? We, a lot of people can write songs, we can write music and put something out any day, but we don't always have something to say in our music. It's not always relatable to what the average person is going through, you know, and living in Baltimore City, 60% of the population, over 60% is black out here, but most of the population lives under the poverty line. So honestly, they want to hear real, real music. You know, the average listener out here in Baltimore City is not going to download or stream your music when you drop it because they're looking at when am I going to get my next job, maybe my next meal. And you have to understand your demographic and where you live. And so the best way for me to thrive in the climate besides outside sources of music licensing and, you know, touring, like I said, is make music that is for everyday people. Where when people hear it, they go, okay, that's not too far-fetched. That's something I can reach, or that's understandable. I'm going through that, or I've gotten through that. So I feel what he's saying. I think sometimes, especially in the hip-hop industry, and, and again, this is part of our culture too, is look fly, had a nice car, wear a nice chain, wear the nice clothes. But at the same time, it's got to be that balance of most people don't have that. And you got to realize that and can get to the point where it can look so unattainable to the average person or it can just kind of feel like you're looking down on somebody because you have all these great things that, yeah, you may attain through hard work, but then you're losing your grip on what's relatable, what's attainable to the average person. The average person is just trying to live every day and make, you know, the best they can provide for their family, you know, go to their job, give the best they can and just provide. They're not they don't have a lot of disposable income to go chill on a yacht somewhere. Yeah, that's, I mean, making the music really be for people rather than for yourself can can make a huge difference. Um, I find it really awesome and admirable how much you're involved in helping others. Uh, tell me about your philanthropy. Uh, definitely. Uh, prior to opening up my nonprofit, I was 
already committed and working with an organization out here called Project Place. And what I loved about them is not only were they a homeless shelter, but they're one of the few homeless shelters I ever ran into where they help the homeless get a job. So they give you a shelter, but then help link you with employers. And to me, this is critical that people don't think about is we don't know why someone becomes homeless. It could be their fault. It could be fault of the system. It could be the circumstances they couldn't control. But the one thing we don't help them do a lot of times is how can someone who's homeless get back on their feet if they don't have the income or the money to eventually get back on their feet or the opportunities as well? Because a lot of times when we see the homeless, and I'm not speaking for everybody, but we walk past them almost like they're not a part of society. And so Project Place is a part of giving them shelter, but then also giving them a place, finding them places to work. So I've donated suits, dress shoes, uh, you know, funds, anything of that nature. I did a Christmas drive with them uh, one year. So philanthropy has always been in, in me. When I had a tour in Haiti, I linked up with a, a organization called Kids Connection Haiti, who I continue to be an ambassador with. And they basically provide free schooling. They provide free art programs for the youth in Haiti, where uh, if you've never been to Haiti, they can't always go to school every day. And it's not because of the pandemic. It's because they don't have the resources. They don't have the money. They don't have the teachers. It's not safe. Totally different economy than we live here in America, where we take going for school for granted, you know, outside of the pandemic. And uh, so just a great organization. I actually did a performance right there at their organization. I stay in contact with the kids. I donate regularly. And so it kind of led me to, I would say, opening up my nonprofit, which is called Rise With A Purpose. And I chose that name because that's how I live every day. I rise with a purpose and that's how I envision the world. Us getting up, uh, working hard as we can for ourselves. Second, working as hard as we can for other people and giving them opportunities once we reach a level of success. And most of all, engaging our community and trying to, um, you know, do the best we can to raise our community up, make our community better and teach our community that we can do better. So I live off of those principles. Uh, like I kind of spoke of earlier right now, my biggest thing is building a music school out here in the city. I'm working with some right, great people right now that's helping me get a donated building. I have a fundraiser that's running right now. If you go to risewiththepurpose.com, we have raised over $11,000 towards our $15,000 goal. I'm partnering up with a company called doTERRA Wellness who does essential oils that once we reach $15,000, they will match it and we'll have a total of $30,000 to kickstart this, this school. So there are a lot of great forces in play right now to make this happen. I have one of my sons who's uh, 17, he goes to school in the county, and I have a younger son who's nine who goes to school out here in the city. My youngest son takes drum lessons in my crib. My oldest son plays four instruments. You see the difference in the dynamic. My youngest son has no music education in his school, so I have to go to outside sources, which is actually my live drummer who would come over here and teach my son drums, where my son, he has one of the best music education programs in the county, he plays saxophone, he plays piano, he plays acoustic guitar, he produces and he does audio engineering because he has classes that teach him this. So there's so many kids out here in the city and other cities in the nation out here and other countries that I've been to that are just dying to have some type of music education to learn how to play violin, learn to read sheet music, learn how to be a recording engineer, play guitar, and they literally have nowhere to go. So not only is this school going to be for those underserved kids out here to help them get off the street, get off the block, but also open their gifts, it's going to be for kids I've met in those countries in Africa and some of those European countries and just places that this they don't have anywhere to turn to do music when you have a gift. There's 
I mean, one of the hardest things in doing music is is reaching the point to where the music is able to kind of pay for itself. Uh, I feel like maybe a long time ago, the dream was like, yeah, be famous and like tour the world and stuff. But I feel like nowadays it's like, yeah, I just want to make enough music or make enough money off of just music so that I can live off of it. How do how do you reach that point? But then also, how can anyone reach that point to where they're making a living just off of their music? I think early in your career, you have to be realistic. And also you have to know, I would say, what type of music you want to put out there? What are you trying to accomplish? And I don't think a lot of musicians ask themselves that of, I think we go into this all with the same dream. Oh, I want to be all over the place. I want to see my face all over the TV, all over the radio. And that's what you should shoot for. Never shoot low, but also be realistic that, okay, what if I don't reach there how else am I going to make money? How else can I make a living off of this? So you just don't want to put everything in that one bag of superstardom because it's similar to sports. Most people don't make it to the professional level. It's, it's a small percentage that make it. Most of us are going to be in that middle ground or you're not going to make it at all. And so early on, I did a ton of research. And that was one reason why I opened up my business. I just recently started signing artists last year and because I had the funds to actually promote artists. But I opened my label in 2009, and I've been the only artist on my label since 2009, but I've been very successful, and this is how. Open my label. I knew I could take a loss for three years on any and everything I purchased for my business, and also music-wise. Also, opening up my business allowed me to apply for grants that I can't apply for as an individual, that I had to have a business. So I started winning grants, which helped uh, my business flourished, but it also gave me the money to help go do some of the tours that I do now. Other thing I did, and this was the biggest thing, is I learned music licensing was the key. I looked at music licensing and saw that you can get one placement and you'll make money off that the rest of your life, especially royalty wise. And then you have times when you can do music licensing deals where you get paid up front as well. And so that was my main focus in the beginning was let me build some music licensing relationships. Let me build partnerships with networks. Let me write some really good music. Let me show people I'm a good songwriter, that I can really write across the board and that I can do this quickly. So I had to build a team as well. I've had the same engineer my whole career since 2009, which is key as well. I, uh, I've went through, I would say, different producers here and there, but I have a great producer I've had in place since 2017, who was my drummer as well. And he's I've got him involved to where he's had great success in the music licensing field as well, uh, doing production with me and without me. And so once I built relationships with ESPN, I have relationships with Netflix, WWE, Fox. Um, I've done a couple independent films. I've had records that are considered premium records in the music licensing field, but I've never seen the light of day on radio. And so in the music licensing realm, I would say I'm a star. My, I have songs that have been used in so many different shows over and over that I make a lot of money off of. But I'm still relative and unknown musician, I would say. But I learned early on that music licensing was the key. So I've had songs that I've got licensed back in 2009, 2010 that I still make money off of and good money. And so I would tell any independent artist, you want to try to get your music license more than anything else, because look at it this way. Even if your music's on the radio, it has a short span of life. It's eventually going to go off the radio, maybe get spins here and there through the years if it's a classic record. But if it's just a record for that point in time, odds are when it's off the radio, it's gone. But if you get a song in a movie, you write a theme song for a TV show, you're in a video game that lives on forever. 
forever. Just think about that. Someone could watch a movie that you did a song for 20 years from now. Your kids could watch a movie 30 years from now. Your song's still there and you're still making royalties off of it. So I learned that was the key. And other than that, I learned to do as many shows as possible and not for free. Early on, you might have to, but if you can get the money and you can get grants and you can get funds or you can get to your level, yourself to a level where people are coming for you and they want to pay you, that's the way to go is hit the festival circuit hard. If you can get on that festival circuit, hit it hard because the audiences are eclectic. They don't like this one form of music. And I'm telling you, a lot of my self-discovery as an artist with my audience was just doing a lot of festivals throughout the year where I was traveling a lot, making money. Once I was getting funds and I built this partnership with the Department of State, they constantly were sending me overseas to different countries to perform. And that's how I built my independent career to where I've been very successful and I've been taking care of my kids and I for almost six years now just off of music income. Thank you so much for all that. Not just for me, but for the people who are listening who are also musicians that, you know, really need to hear the the real side of the music business on on that front. So thank you so much for that. Uh, why music? Uh, why not, you know, any anything else? <laughs> uh, I mean, music for me, that's just my purpose, you know. So I would just say, you know, I found it's my vehicle to engage my community you know and that could be anything else for anybody you could be an actor and you could find that that's your way you could be um someone that writes literature and that's the way you connect with your community um again this is just my way to get my word out get my opinion out i feel to accomplish the task i want to accomplish in my life we have such a short time you know here on earth so i had to say hey what is going to be my path and I saw that music was, this is the way I can accomplish my love for helping others, my passion for being a musician, and my passion for being a businessman. I'm able to put everything I love to do into one thing, you know, through the music. So I would just tell all musicians to think about that. You know, what is your end game? Um, and especially music, you can do it all your life, but I just think you have to have other surrounding pieces, especially when you become successful. It's important for you to give back, uh, build organizations that will help other musicians become successful as well. What is a deep, nitty-gritty or advanced concept, cutting-edge thing in music, in rap, maybe even in like music business that you're really excited about that is really uh, you know, making you look towards the future with excitement? Doing what we're doing right now, to be honest. Doing podcasts. Yeah, doing podcasts. Just being real with you. Uh, Growing up early in the business, you know, interviews were just FM radio or if you could get yourself on TV. And even when you're on these platforms, you have a limited amount of time to talk. There's only certain questions they're going to ask you. They're not going to deviate from the script. Podcasts really, to me, don't always focus so much on the music, but they give listeners an opportunity to learn about the artist and who they are as a person. And when it's all said and done, you're going to connect with the music, but you also like artists because you like their personality or the way they represent themselves. Or you say, hey, this is someone I would chill with every day, you know, and I think with podcasts, it's just it's an open forum, you know, to be yourself. It's an open forum to ask whatever question you want to ask, good or bad. And it's just it's a way for people to say, OK, well, I'm multifaceted. I'm working on X and X and X. A lot of times when you're on radio, a big station, you can't talk about X and X and X. It's just, hey, let me just talk about my new album. So I think podcasts are a really untapped way of 
artists, I think, really get it out there. And I think labels in the future, and little by little they are, I think they'll realize that even podcasts are maybe even more important than booking those regular FM interviews because of the wide range of topics that you can cover, you know, and people can really relate to you more over 30 minutes to an hour than they can in five minutes on a, you know, a radio, an FM radio, or even AM radio program. <laughs> and don't worry, we'll we'll be getting to some of those uh, deep questions and, and tough questions. So, uh, but before we get to those, uh, what's something that people don't normally know about you? That I have dual citizenship. I was actually born in Germany. My dad served in the army for 27 years. So we just happened to be in Germany when I was born. So yeah, I have dual citizenship with Germany and here in the United States. How good's your German? <laughs> I don't know any German, and I regret that. I lived there twice. You know what I mean? I lived there a second time uh, between eight to 10 years old. And I went to an American school on base out there, but they taught German as part of, but I just really didn't give it the time of day, and I regret it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, having done uh, classical, sty classical style singing, uh, I've done a lot of singing in German and so a really beautiful language to sing in, in German. So like, it's, uh, it, it's really different. The, like, I don't know the, the way that the words are shaped. And so it's, it's really interesting, <laughs> but, uh, last one on this front and, uh, then we'll get to the deeper questions. Uh, what advice do you have for people wanting to do what you do? Uh, my biggest advice is, you know, treat it like a test, you know, um, you know, when we're in school, you want to get an A on a test, you would study. You know, very few of us could just show up and get that A. Music industry is the same way. It can be very, very tough. It's one of the most risky businesses out here. There's no blueprint for artists. All of our blueprint is different. Yes, there are certain things you can do that's in place, making sure you're registered with different societies, you know, ASCAP, BMI, CSAC, Venture with Sound Exchange, AARC, you know, to some of the different societies that collect your royalties. But most of all, research the business so the business is not unkind to you. I've lost a lot of money in this business, and I've researched, and I still lost a lot of money in this business. But just know what you're getting yourself into. Know that music is a long-term thing. Most people don't even make it within their first 10 years, I would say, at a great successful level where they can take care of themselves. And, um, you know, just stay steadfast at this. Continue to get knowledge. Don't ever think you know everything. And definitely build a business out of this. It's important that you build a business because it just opens up more, I would say, income streams for you to help support yourself as a musician. All right. Now switching to the tougher questions. What is the role of spirituality or religion in your life? So I'm glad you asked me this. I, uh, Growing up, my parents, they always took me to church all the time. So I was in church a lot growing up every Sunday, and I'm glad I got exposed to it. I remember when I went to college, I stopped going to church probably almost my whole freshman year after going consistently. And it wasn't me rebelling uh, or anything like that. It was me saying, what's on the other side of this? What if I don't go to church? Is my relationship with God going to be different? And I, you know, going to be looked at differently? Am I not a part of the group anymore? And I come to find out that it wasn't so much about being in a church setting in the building and being about a congregation of people. It's about your personal relationship with God. And so once I left the church for a while, I, I would learn so much more about myself not being in church than in church, if that makes sense. Because I went through more self-discovery of my relationship with God. It was almost 
after all those years, I needed that one-on-one, you know, with God to figure out what is my relationship? You know, how much do I want God to take part in my life? And I found out early on that, you know, I, I believe in God to the highest. I believe everything that's happened in my life is because of him. Even the doors that have closed, I know that he's had a hand in them just so other doors can open. And I've come to accept and be okay with the fact that I'm not in church every Sunday. It doesn't make me a lesser man. I shouldn't be judged because I'm not in church on Sunday because I have a great relationship with God. I talk to him daily. I pray every morning. I ask him for the things I need while also giving him the grace and the glory for the things he's provided for me. So I would just tell everybody who may be in my position or has been afraid to even admit that, um, I think that's there too, there's the stigma that, oh, well, you don't go to church, then, you know, what do you know about God? You should never feel bad because you're not in a church setting. So I can tell you firsthand, work on your personal relationship with God. As long as that's good, then nothing else really matters, that judgment from the outside. What is your definition of God? My definition of God is, to me, he's the maker of all. You know, he he's everything that we experience emotionally as well. I don't just look at him as, I want to say, a spiritual being. He's our emotions as well. You know, when there's times where we have something happens in our life, I even think about, you know, God's probably laughing at this. He thinks this is funny right now. You know what I mean? Because I think we forget he has a, he has a sense of humor as well. And I think we only look to God for prayer and things we need. But I have moments where I'm like, he's probably laughing at what I just did was stupid. Or I have moments where he probably wouldn't approve of what I'm thinking right now. And again, I'm not saying I'm the most spiritual person, but this is how I view God as he is the, you know, the utmost highest, you know, in the world to me. So he's almost that parent on your shoulder at times where you think about, should I do this? Is this the right thing? Would God approve of this? He sees all, you know what I mean? So to me, that's what he is to me. He's someone that keeps me, um, I wouldn't say on the straight and narrow, but he he keeps me in the right mind frame to question why I'm doing certain things, not just jump into him. What is free will? <laughs> free will is, I would say, basically, think the things you want to think and be able to execute them. Now, we live in a country where they say you can do anything, everything you want, but we have laws as well. But I also think we're in a country where they do push for you to be an entrepreneur. So free will is, to me, is having that opportunity to say, I have an idea and I want to execute this idea. And I just need to acquire the resources, the partnerships and the help to make this come to fruition. In our country, we can do that. Every country does not have the free will to do that. I mean, there's governments in other countries where if there are ways you, they consider that's, I would say, rebelling against their ideology, you can go to jail for some of these things. You know what I mean? You could be silenced for some of these things. We're here. I feel we more encourage you to be an entrepreneur. It's not easy. We don't make it easy, but we say, hey, if you apply yourself, if you can build partnerships, you can gain the trust of your community to show that there's a value in bringing this into the fold, then we can make this happen. So, that's why I see free will is you can execute your ideas without having to worry about, hey, my ideology is, is, is different from what they think. Okay, I can still execute this without any major repercussions. Cool, cool. What do you think happens when we die? I think we, one, see our life uh, very quickly. And I think we get judged on everything we've done. And that's why it's important to really exhaust your soul 
while you're here on earth. And I've said this term to a lot of people. Look at it that way. Exhaust your soul. When I say that is if you've ever had things you regretted that you didn't do, you can still do them. You know what I mean? So I would say go do those things. Or if there are things that gnaw at you that you knew, I maybe shouldn't have done this. There's always what? Redemption. There's always redemption. And so I just look at it as, again, we have a short amount of time here on earth. So we really can't be lazy. We really can't afford to even give away days. And if you can get your mind and perspective to be, hey, I'm up today. I got a purpose, whether big or small, to get as much done today. I think once you leave here and you have that judgment, you know, to me, you're going to be looking at a life of, man, I spent a lot of my life going through some growing pains early on, but it made me the person I am. But then I spent the bigger part of my life working hard to be successful, but not just being successful for myself, but giving to others, providing opportunities for others. To me, these are the basic principles of why we're here as humans. We're not here to just walk around, cause destruction, mess things up, you know, pollute things, kill one another. We're literally here, cliche phrase, live the best life we can without harming others. And then also open up avenues for those that may have been put in situations where they just don't have the resources or they didn't have maybe the same path that maybe I've had or maybe the same resources I had that once you reach a level of success, it is your duty, I feel like, your duty to turn around and open up some doors for somebody else. You should never just take all your success for yourself. Or if you're someone who's attained great wealth, you should never be stingy with all that wealth. You should be thankful and blessed that you have that wealth. Then seek avenues where you can spread that wealth to people that really need it. How do you determine what good behavior is? Uh, good behavior to me is not having judgment on people, uh, respecting people, how unique they are, respecting that everybody has to be themselves and be comfortable in their own skin. I think the moment you can't be around someone and they feel, uh, I don't fit in, you're not doing your job as a human being. You know what I mean? If that makes sense, you know, anybody you're around, I don't care if they have a mohawk with rainbow colors in it. You should still be able to sit down with this person and, and learn something about them and then decide based on their character, is this someone I want to have as a friend or is this going to be our first and last conversation? Which you have every right to do. What you shouldn't do is be in a room with everybody that looks different and go, oh, I'm going to judge this person or I've never seen one that looks like this. I don't think I'm going to talk to this person because it's going to be uncomfortable. Most of all, you're making that person uncomfortable because you're not willing to step up there and say, man, let me let me learn about this person. I've met so many people in my life that because that's not my mind frame, they become great friends of mine, business partners of mine, someone has helped me in my life. But how can you discover these things about people if you're just judging how people look on the outside before you get to learn what they're truly about? So I would just tell you, give everybody a chance, celebrate being unique, celebrate when people are being themselves. I celebrate when I see people walking around that don't look like everybody else. I'll be like, that's the person that's bold and teaching us a lesson out here because they're not worried about being judged. They're like, this is how I like to look. Like it or not, I feel good about myself. Those are the people we got to celebrate. How do we reduce the division between people? We have to just have an understanding, I think. Uh, it's one to t one thing to talk, but I think we're not as good listeners. You know, even we teach our kids and we teach people all the time, you know, share your opinion, you know, spread your voice, which is what you want, you know, but we don't always say, but be a good listener too. really think about it. Those two things will never go together. Share your opinion, but also know that there might be a rebuttal to your opinion. And that's when you got to listen. 
So to me, even more listening, it might even be more important than the words you have to say, because you know your thoughts, you already know your beliefs. But after you put your beliefs out there, you have to be willing to accept what someone else has to say. And sometimes that's when we get all flustered and no, 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 that's not right. And this and that, that's because we're not listening. We're not listening. If you could just sit there, someone could say, hey, this is why I think this. You might not agree with it, but you can go, oh, I understand why you think this. It could be his upbringing. It could be the people this person's around. It could be where they're getting their information. All these different things tie into why people think the things they think a lot of times, why they associate with certain people and not other people. But if you could at least listen, you'd be surprised where you can go. I don't agree with that, but I, I'm similar to you and why we both think this way. You know what I mean? You'll find some type of common ground with people that you even disagree with. And I found that just through, again, my travels, experience, being open minded. And again, that's something I say, encourage people, just be open minded to any and everything. You just you really be surprised and say it's a gift, a never ending gift that you get to open every day as long as you're open minded. Yeah, I like that a lot. Do you believe humans are evil by nature? Yes. Unfortunately, yes. You know, if you're if you're anybody that, again, you don't have to know the Bible front to back, but just know the Bible to a degree. You just know that, yes, it's part of our human nature. We're never going to be perfect. Even those times we've all had them. We all have evil thoughts at times and we go, why am I thinking that? You know, why? Why is that coming across my mind? Sometimes you just got to chalk it up as that's part of our human nature, unfortunately. You know, but it's those that can harness those thoughts at times and go, "Okay, that was just a thought. I'm not going to act on it. But we know we have those in society that have those thoughts and they do act on it. You know what I mean? And take a life, harm somebody. So, yes, I feel from the moment you're born, you're born with some evil in you just as much as you're born with good. And it's all about what side are you going to choose? That's why we have good and evil. It shows up in every movie. It even shows up in music at times, you know, so it's a part of everyday life. We deal with it every day. There's good and evil every day. We step outside, you know, it's just what side of, of it are you going to be on? What do you think humanity is heading towards in the future? This is tough, you know, because I want us to head towards being more united. But unfortunately, and this is me speaking to supremely honest, is I see more division because I'm not seeing us listening to one another and understanding one another. When we went through a period and we continue to go through this period of just racial injustice uh, with the black community, we're seeing this huge uprising of injustice with the Asian community, which pains me to see that we can live in America and have so much hate with my, I mean, my community and the Asian community. And we are people that have been here for how long? <laughs> I mean, just think about that. We've been a part of America for how long and we're still doing this. And this is why I feel that we're headed towards more division, because unfortunately, the prior four years, and this has nothing to do with your political side you pick. The reality of the past four years is a division was created. It was people were felt it was made to feel OK to create division again or say, hey, I don't agree with this race of people or. I don't agree with this way of living, or I think this particular race needs to be the dominant race still. Those feelings that may have been, I would say, kept below or honestly were changing, were brought back to the forefront to make you feel okay. 
And so we have all this division now where people feel like, oh, it's okay for me to say, I don't like this person because they're Asian. It's okay for me to be, I don't like this person because you're black. That's what's going on in our country right now. And, and we're having to deal with it. And we're just truly divided right now. And unfortunately, that's what I see further. And I'm just hoping we have enough good people that can just literally change the minds of um, the Americans out here to where we can somewhat get back to kind of where we were the years prior to this you know, past administration to where we can say, hey, let's just listen to one another. We're going to have differences, but we can be united and still listen to one another. I mean, I saw what we did when 9-11 happened. I saw what we've done at times when there's been unfortunate kids that have been killed in school situations with mass shootings. I didn't see a lot of us coming together during COVID. It's been division. So that's kind of where we've been stuck. With that kind of darkness out of the way, let's start turning upwards a little bit. What are you optimistic about for our future? I'm optimistic about, I think, some bit of normalcy. And if anything, I think can slow the divide, because uh, I think we're in the midst of it, is somewhat of normalcy of people feeling like well, I'm back to somewhat of a real life again. And I think we've all been in bubbles. And what bubbles has done, too, is that is called division for us, too, because I talked earlier about where you get your information sources. If you're someone that has, excuse me, live by yourself, you have your thoughts Maybe people that reach out to you from time to time. But other than that, you had your TV, you had the media, you had social media. And that was it. You maybe didn't have your base group of friends or the regular atmosphere you would be around to get all these different opinions or someone that's in a college atmosphere where you can have all these different opinions that got taken away. Our kids that were in schools, you weren't around a bunch of diverse kids anymore. You were just in your one home and you might just only been getting the views of your parents or what was on TV. So... I think getting back to some normalcy will help people open their minds again and say, hey, I haven't really been listening for the past year. I've just kind of been in my bubble. And now I understand what so much of the uproar is about with this racial divide is that we're not listening to one another at all. This person thinks this, this person thinks this. And we just know from experience when a bunch of people think of a bunch of different things, that causes chaos. And so we got to move out of that. I think getting people back into live event settings again will just make people feel good about themselves when it's safe to do so. And I mean music, I mean uh, lectures, uh, full school experience, five days a week again, you know, kids been able to get the full college experience. I think when these things happen, humanity will start to flourish again. Right now it's kind of stuck. Going back to you a little bit more uh, after we've gone through some of those deeper questions, uh, what separates Anthony from Wordsmith? In what ways are you the same? In what ways are you not? Is it the same person? Is it not? I would say I'm the same person. You know, early in my career, I wasn't. But when I knew what I wanted to accomplish, everything you hear in my music is, is me. You know, whether it's my opinions, life experiences, stories I've heard from other people, uh, people I've helped, things I want to do in life. It's, it's truly, I'm just bleeding my heart, you know, and putting everything that I feel, you know, out there on my record. So I don't really separate it anymore. I mean, I get called Wordsmith a word more than my real name, Anthony, you know, at this point. So I think people just consider me that, you know, my artist name's Wordsmith, but there's no separation between who I am as a person. And I think that helps people be more comfortable just calling me word, you know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and I guess going 
a little into that of why Wordsmith, where did that come from? It happened by chance. I had so many bad names <laughs> coming up. At one point, I called myself Franchise, called myself Thorough at one time with no reason behind the names. Just, hey, I like that. But I remember I was just writing a verse one day and I had used a metaphor with the uh, word blacksmith in it. And I don't know, it stuck out to me when I was writing it. And I remember I looked it up and I said, okay, a blacksmith crafts iron and different instruments and different things like that. And that's what a songwriter does is you, you craft a song, you craft a verse, a bridge, a hook. And I just took the black off and put the word in there. And, and that was the metaphor for me is, you know, wordsmith. And as I kind of looked at how I wanted to present myself and, you know, I look at myself bigger than just, again, a rapper. I write spoken word, I write classical pieces, pop music, R&B music, a uh, master of all different words, you know what I mean? Different genres. Um, also on a, a bigger level, people that know me real well know I'm, my word is good. When I give you my word, it's good, you know? And so I really looked at, besides it just being my artist name, this represents me and who I am as a musician, but also me as a man, as a person too, that my word is good when I say I'm going to do something. What kind of world do you hope that your kids are going to be adults into? I think just uh, how you spoke of earlier, just keeping free will out there where they can execute something they believe in. You know, they can execute ideas and opinions that they might have. And I want them to feel like they're in a safe world. You know, I think a lot of kids right now don't feel safe or they feel confused at this world we live in right now. So, you know, I want them to be able to live in a safe world. I want them to know that when they go outside, they can be free to be themselves, be kids, live their life. I tell my kids all the time, enjoy being a kid because you don't have a bunch of responsibility right now, you know, as much as you might want to grow up. But enjoy having these years of being a kid because most of your, your years are spent being an adult, having a ton of responsibility, and you working hard to attain, to attain success in your life, you know, to take care of yourself and your family. So uh, I just hope a better world, you know, we get out of this COVID. It's a distant memory for them. I think it'll always be here, uh, similar to the flu, but not on the magnitude of where we're seeing so much death like we've seen, you know, but that we're having to work hand in hand with, you know, another virus like we do the flu. Uh, several more questions for you. Uh, when will you be satisfied? Never, never. I mean, I'm still going hard, man. I'm 41 right now and I'm still going hard with the thirst I had when I was 20 because every time I reach an accomplishment, my mind is what's next, you know, or while I'm working on one accomplishment, I'm always working on three or four other ones to attain, even though I've had a lot of things done in my career, there's still things that I said, oh man, I still want to play this festival or I still want to get this placement or I still want to write a song for this movie or this show, you know? So there's so many things I can tug at. And even I look at my label right now and the artists I've been able to sign, you know, one of my biggest signings that I'm happy about is I have an artist that's on death row and he's been on death row since 1993, but fully rehabilitated. Such a great guy. I mean, when you talk to him on the phone, one of the most calmest guys you could talk to. If you didn't know it was the 15 minute call on Global Tell Link, you wouldn't know the guy was on death row. But he has so much he wants to say and he wanted to get out, you know, to help those out in this world. And he wants to help kids like him that wasn't doing the right thing. So I want to give him that platform to be able to do that. You know, to, I mentioned earlier, I have a punk rock band from Ukraine. 
giving them an opportunity to be exposed to American audiences. I have a, a singer songwriter named Stevie J who I met during my travels in Haiti, who's so talented, but there's not this big music infrastructure in Haiti uh, to support him. I have my uh, drummer and producer, uh, Chrissy, Chrissy creates who is, he's been rocking with me since 2017. He's from Baltimore like me. And I want to be able to provide an avenue for him. And I have a singer songwriter and Nikki Taylor, Nikki Taylor vibe from Long Island, New York, which is where my parents are from. And she's just awesome, man, as well. And I have also an MC from Tunisia named Marwan Mrag. And again, very eclectic. I didn't choose to just sign artists over here from the United States. I looked at the talent, but also than that, I looked at work ethic and I looked at people that represented my values as well as everybody on my label has a story to tell, has a way that they want to impact society in their own way. And that's the only type of people I want to sign. You got to have something to tell. You have to have to stand for something. And you have to want to impact your community and communities abroad. And everybody I brought on does that. Yeah, that's amazing. What makes you content? Ah, man, I'm not a content person <laughs> at all. Uh, <laughs> I think I'm content in periods. You know, when when you have small successes and I can speak on just fatherhood, just when I see my kids have successes, I can get content for a moment of, oh, man, you know, I taught them good enough that they got this. Or when I, I see my youngest son, I remember he was bugging me for Chick-fil-A all day one day and I finally got it for him. And we was on the way home and my son gave his whole meal away. He goes, Dad, can I give this to the homeless guy? And I looked at him because he sees me do this all the time. You know, me, I'm always setting an example for my kids, giving things away. And he goes, I said, son, you've been asking me for this all day. You sure you want to do that? And he goes, he needs it more than I do. And I watched my son, and he was seven at the time. He's nine. Give his Chick-fil-A meal away after begging for it all day. I mean, it, it touched me heavily. And that was a moment of me being content because I said, man, he saw the examples of how much I give, took it upon himself. He sees the value at a young age of I can get this, you know, when my dad tells me, but pretty much whenever I want. But this homeless guy, this might be his only Chick-fil-A meal this week, this month, next couple months, and they give it away. So to me, it's moments of being content when I see that maybe things I've taught somebody, my kids or somebody else, or I've had a musical, I would say, concert or workshop, and I'll hear from a kid later on that says, hey, you know, I'm playing piano full time now, or, you know, I'm... Um, I wrote my first song, you know, because I, I was in your singer songwriter class and I wrote my first song. I'm going to record it. You have moments of being content, like, yes. All right. They took in everything I said and they're being successful. Two more questions for you. What advice do you have for people in general? Uh, my motto, just rise with a purpose every day. It's so important that you do. And also just don't be out for yourself. You know, yes, we all have to work hard to attain success to support ourselves and our family, but always keep an eye out for somebody else who needs your help. That could be a friend, family member, someone you don't even know. You know, I try to find a moment in time every day when I'm out and about to help somebody. And it could be small. You don't have to always think big of, oh, I got to get money or I got to go volunteer time. You could see someone struggling on the street. You could see someone, an old lady who needs help with some bags. And I'm being cliche with it, but it literally can be that small. Just helping somebody. You'd be surprised what it does to your heart and your mind that day. Once you help someone and walk away from the situation, you go, man, that felt good. Because I, I helped someone other than myself, you know what I mean? And it got them to where they needed to go or it got them into what they needed to do. 
you'd be surprised how it raises your mood, your way of thinking the rest of that day. So every day you get up, you know, have a priority to get some things done for yourself, accomplishments, but also spend that time saying, how can I help somebody else, small or big, during this 25-hour period that I have? And last question, potentially most importantly, cake or pie? Pie. I'm going with pie. (laughs) (laughs) Well, what is the best pie or your favorite pie? Sweet potato pie, without without a doubt. Definitely on Christmas and Thanksgiving, sweet potato pie. Wordsmith, thank you so much for doing this with me. Where can people find you and your thanks? Uh, Thank you so much as well. Well, you can find me at wordsmithmusic.com. That's my official website. If you want to check out some of the artists I mentioned, you're going to go to newrevcamp.com. That's N-U-R-E-V-camp.com. Other than that, you can find me on my socials. It's uh, Wordsmith, pretty much under everything, but Instagram, it's wordsmithmusic. And uh, you can reach out to me at wordsmith at wordsmithmusic.com. I'm a person that likes to get back to anybody. Even if you have questions after hearing the podcast, any music questions, please feel free to reach out via email or on my socials because I look at it like this. Once I give you the knowledge, you have to execute it. So I'm free to give it away. Uh, once again, thank you so much for doing this with me. This has been really enlightening for me and hopefully to anyone who's listening. So uh, yeah, thank you so much. I'm Santiago Ramones. I'm Wordsmith, and thanks for having me. You can find everything that I do on my website, SantiagoRamones.com. I make music and produce audio. I have an EP, a short album, that is streaming everywhere right now. It's called Soundbites. The music you're hearing right now is from Soundbites. Listen to it on Spotify, Apple Music, and anywhere else you stream music, or buy it on Bandcamp, because a single purchase is the monetary equivalent of streaming it all day, every day, for a year. I'm also working on another album, so if you'd like to hear that at some point, you can buy my music, or you can support me on Patreon. That's patreon.com slash Santiago Ramones. Follow me on Instagram to stay up to date with all the stuff that I'm doing, both at bit.depth and at Santiago Ramones Music. There's also a Discord server in which we discuss deep topics from the podcast, but it's also a community of beautiful human beings. Go to SantiagoRamones.com slash Discord to join. If you like the podcast, leave comments on social media, leave reviews by saying how much you like the podcast, and tell your friends about it. I really couldn't be doing this without you, and I am so very grateful to continue doing BitDepth for this long. Thank you so much for listening to and supporting BitDepth. I always end the podcast with my three things. They shape my life philosophy. Love never fails. It's going to be okay. I might be wrong.